Hey, we're going to gather back, so if you could hear my voice, grab, grab a chair. Uh, if, if you have a Bible with you, go ahead and open it up. We're going to be in the very beginning in Genesis chapter 1. If you don't have a Bible with you, but most people these days carry a phone, there, there's a Bible app that you could get uh, called the Bible. That's uh, really hard, but that, that's it, the Bible. Uh, download it. Uh, today is it's what's called it's National Sanctity of Life Sunday. And, and so churches all over North America uh, are, are doing a, a sermon today on, on the, the importance of life and what it means to be made in the image of God. And, and we're joining them today. And unfortunately in our society, when, when the church bumps up against culture, a couple things happen. Some, some churches go, we don't want anything to do with culture and we're going to, we're going to retreat and we're going to have our little holy huddle and we're just going to point fingers and say that everyone outside of our huddle is bad and I can't, I can't stand what they're doing. Other people, when the church begins to bump up against culture, they begin to see that the people have different language, they have different understandings, and they go, that's all good. Let's, let's, let's embrace every single culture and, uh, and we'll just begin to change depending depending on how times change. Uh, we don't believe that at Hope. We believe that, that the church is supposed to bump up against culture. And as, as it bumps up against culture, that the church is called to bring value and redemption into this world. And so as, as the church goes, empowered by God, into the world as, as vessels of hope, as vessels of joy and restoration, if we do our job right, the culture around us should change. And, and that's exactly why we planted Hope Community Church uh, uh, 10 months ago, was, was because we believe that this area needs more churches, even more than just us. There are 50,000 plus people that live in the Antelope area, and there's only five churches, evangelical churches here. We believe that the more churches that get started, the more gospel conversations are going to happen, the more the church is going to bump up against culture, and the more we're going to see transformation all over the place. And so this is my point, is, is as the church begins to bump up against culture, our hope is that things change. Unfortunately, when, when the church begins to bump up against certain issues, sometimes instead of getting biblical, people get political. And I do not want that to happen today. I'm not trying to, to avoid a political conversation. If you want to talk politics with me, love to during the week. But, but church isn't for politics. Uh, and, and so my, my hope is that when, when we talk about some things that, that might be on a political agenda, that I'm not going politics today. We're going what the Bible says. And, and this is why we have to do this. If, if we begin to, to use this platform and go, hey, vote this way or do that, I think that's a violation of your rights personally. Uh, but if we begin to get political, things change all the time in politics, especially in the United States. You'll have one political party in place, and then a few years later, another political party goes into place. And if there is a, a, a value system or a platform that becomes more political than biblical, then what happens is when the next party comes in, they just take back everything that was accomplished that was good. Uh, and, and that's not healthy for us. If we're going to begin to redeem the culture, we need to know our Bibles. And so grab the Bible app. 
uh, let's, let's talk. If there's a disagreement, if I said something that, that you don't necessarily agree with, I'm inviting that we have you into a conversation. Typically, the way that Sundays work is I yell at you guys for about 30 minutes or so, and it's not fair because you listen or tune me out or play games on your phone. Uh, but... Uh, you don't get to respond, and sometimes there's a disagreement, and I think sometimes in our culture, if two people disagree, we, we automatically assume that there, uh, there's judgment, that we'll never be friends, and it's over. If, if two people always agree, one of them's not needed. We, we have to disagree from time to time, and so my hope is that even if we do disagree, we could begin to agree that the Bible is something that we could uh, use as our truth source and begin to go, okay, what does the Bible say about that? It's not just my opinion or your opinion. Let's, let's look at what the Bible says and how we move forward with that. Are we okay with that? All right, so, so we're going to be talking about a doctrine called Imago Dei, and we've, we've done this four times already since we've start, and, and the reason that we, we talk about this, which means image of God, is this is vital to the culture of Hope Community Church. We, we believe that every single human being is made in the image of God. We have to start there. And, and if every single human being is made in the image of God, then every single human being has value. And, and part of, of our understanding is that everyone is made in the image of God. Everyone has value. Some people just don't know they have value yet. And as, as we're ambassadors of Jesus going into the world and meeting people we don't know yet, sharing truth and our lives with them, we want everyone to see that they have value, that they have purpose, that there is a reason for their existence. And, and we start that every life matters. And in our culture today, uh, there, are, uh, there are abortions happening, over a million of them every single year. And there is a disconnect between uh, every life matters and, and what actually happens in our culture. And so we're going to be talking a little bit about that. When we, when we begin to talk about sensitive issues, though, it's, it's easy for our guards to go up and for us to, to clench our fists and to get restless a little bit. And sometimes the Christian church does not look like its Savior, Jesus Christ. Let me say that again. Sometimes the Christian church does not look like its Savior, Jesus Christ. And if we're going to talk about a sensitive issue such as this, then our goal is to look at Jesus and to know what he stands for. And so before we dive into Genesis 1, which is where we're going today, I, I want to share uh, a story, uh, and I'm going to paraphrase it. You can look it up. It's, it's, in, Gen it's in John chapter 8, uh, and just kind of highlighting the character of who our Savior Jesus is. Uh, John chapter 8, uh, it says that Jesus was teaching at the temple, and as he's teaching, th there is this mob that begins to form, and this mob grabs a woman who is half naked, if not all naked, and, and they, they throw her in front of Jesus at church where, where people worship God, and they open up the Torah, the, the first five books of our Bible, and they say, the law says that she has committed adultery, therefore she should be stoned. What do you say? And they're putting Jesus to the test. And Jesus begins to write in the dirt and he's 
kind of penciling things around. We have no idea what he says. Many commentators have, have ideas about what Jesus says, and it's, it's good discussion for some people. It's all speculation. Uh, one commentator was saying he was probably listing out sins and like pointing to people in the room. I have no idea, and you don't know either. People are just guessing back and forth. But when, when challenged again, what do you say? Jesus looks at the mob and the leaders of this mob, and he said, you who are without sin, cast the first stone. And I love how the Bible has so much detail into it. It is is so descriptive. It says that they begin to leave the oldest first and then the youngest. Uh, Because we we know that the, the older you are, the more you have an understanding of the way life is. If, if you're 19 years old, uh, you know everything right now. And uh, like, 19 is, is such a great year to live because after 19, it just seems like you get dumber and dumber and dumber until you get my age and, uh, and even longer uh, that you realize you don't know anything. But at the age of 19, you could, like, you could say anything you want without any historic fact or any evidence or anything. And you go, this is just the way it is. I, if you are 19, I want to encourage you to, to embrace this year because this is an amazing, amazing year because you have everything figured out right now. And starting next year, things are going to begin to get, get harder and harder as you realize that you don't have everything figured out and that we need help to come in. And so in the Bible, it's saying that the, the older people recognize where they've fallen short, that they don't have everything together. And this picture of a mob with noise and everything moving around all of a sudden slows down and is quiet. And this half-dressed person with snot and tears who, who, who knows her shame, and she knows her shame two ways. She, she, she knows her shame because every single person that, that is engaging in any type of, of sin There is an internal shame that exists where where there is a disconnect. And and some people are wrestling with their thoughts and their actions, and it's like, that wasn't right. When you put your foot in your mouth and you just say the wrong thing at the wrong time, right? Afterwards, you might, like, be laying in bed and go, why did I say that? I can't believe I say that. And there's there's this this personal shame that, that people experience. But for this woman, it's even beyond that. It's, it's, there's, the guy's not there, and this mob is, is grabbing exposed. And there is public humiliation. In culture, there is a shame that comes in, either a personal shame or, or a public shame because there were choices and decisions that, that you made or people that you know made or you encourage people to make a choice that was devastating for them. And there is this shame. And as, as we dive into this, I want you to look at how Jesus deals with her shame. Instead of being outside of the situation and like it's standing up on a throne room chair, uh, looking down objectively at her, he, he enters into her shame at that very moment, into her mess. And he says, where are your accusers? Has no one condemned you? And I believe that as he says this, there's snot and puffy eyes and everything going out that he's just lifting up her chin and looking her right in the eye. Say, woman, 
where are your accusers? Has, has, has no one condemned you? And she says, no. He goes, neither do I. Go and sin no more. And when, when we bump up against culture, we need to know the character of Jesus Christ is always one that, that looks at someone with kindness and this gentle and in their mess, lifting up their chin and saying, I don't condemn you. And as, as we dive into our text this morning, if, if you are hearing a voice in your head, and believe me, our, our voices in our head, we talk to ourselves more than anyone else talks to us. Our, our voice is constantly going, and some of us are, are always going. If you are a woman, you are blessed and cursed because your brain never turns off. It is just always, always going. Guys can at least compartmentalize and think about nothing. It's a gift. But women are constantly, constantly thinking over and over and over again. And if the voice in your head is telling you this morning that God does not love you, that that you need to feel shame and guilt for anything that you have done. You are, that is not the voice of God. That is not the voice in the Bible. Our God, our Savior Jesus, is one that picks up your chin, looks you in the eye, and says, I do not condemn you. That's why in Romans chapter 8, Paul makes an argument and he says, who, can, can, can anyone condemn God's elect? Can anyone condemn God's elect? And he's making an argument saying, no, no one can. Because Jesus went to the cross and he died on the cross being a perfect sacrifice, he rose again, he defeated sin, he defeated shame, he defeated death. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. That is a truth that we hold on to. And no one can condemn you. If you are in Jesus Christ, there is no condemnation. That means our past sin our present sin, even our future sin is not greater than our King, Jesus Christ, our Savior, Jesus Christ. There is no condemnation. And as we butt up against culture this morning, if, if condemnation comes into your mind, no, that's not the voice of God. Dive into your Bibles. Understand the character of your Savior and understand who Jesus is. That's what we have to do. And so with that said, let's look at Genesis chapter 1. This is the very beginning. Grab your Bible app. Grab your, phone, uh, your Bibles. Get, let's get into it. We're going to start in verse 26. And it says this. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven and over the livestock and over every and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heaven so that over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God says, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that on the face of the earth and every tree with seed and its fruit, you shall have them for food. And so every beast of the earth and every bird of the heavens and to the heavenly things that creep on the earth, everything that has breath of life, 
I have given every green plant for food, and it was so. And God saw everything that he made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning on the sixth day. If, if you know your Bibles, and if you've read this chapter, then, then you know that when we get to verse 26, there, there is a break in the rhythm of, of this chapter. Before verse 26, what happens is God said this, and it was, and it was good. God said this, and it was, and it was good. God said this, and it was, and it was good. But when we get to verse 26, there is a break and there is an expansion of, of different things. First of all, it says God, this, we see the Trinity at work here in creation, where God says, let us Make man in our image. And he made man in his image. Relational beings that look and depend on God. That there are qualities about us that God has made every single human. We're made in the image of God, therefore we have value. There's things about us that are different than any other thing that was made. Because we are made in the image of God... We have a relationship with God that is completely different. Animals don't have the same relationship with God as we do. And some people go, but I love my dog. I love my puppy. When my wife and I were first married, we basically spent every single paycheck that came in. Like it took care of our rent. It took care of our food. And we were like broke. We couldn't afford anything, uh, let alone a dog. But that was something that we wanted like in the background. Uh, we're getting a dog next Saturday, which is like super awesome for us. You, the way it typically works in our relationship is uh, my wife kind of suggests different things and then all of a sudden it happens. It's like, I, I kind of want to get a dog. And then like shortly afterwards, like dogs come in next Saturday and it's going to be uh, great. And, and no matter what type of pet you have, you have a relationship with, with God that your pet, your animal can never, ever have with God. Mankind feels regret. We feel shame. We feel sometimes a disconnect. There is something within our soul that is longing for eternity, that, that wants to know what's going to happen after this life, where other animals are not sitting around and going, I wonder what will happen if I run across the street too fast and die. What, will I go to doggy heaven? What, what's going to take place? They're, they're not thinking about that. Mankind, uh, when, when we make a mistake or we do something that, that's bad, we want to begin to change it. Whether you know God or you don't know God, where oftentimes, I don't think at all, animals do, where they're not thinking, think about this, you're watching the National Geographic channel. And, and the lioness is like on the prow and there is this gazelle that's off there. And we're like going, is she going to get it? Is she not going to get it? And we're hooked because it's National Geographic. And the lion wants to take a bite out of this gazelle and wants to hunt it. And we're actually intrigued going, is it going to happen? Nowhere in the National Geographic film crew are they going, now that's not right. That gazelle has a family. Think about that gazelle's children. How are the children going to defend themselves? We don't even think that way. They're animals and they're acting off of instinct, going after whatever pleases them, whatever they want at that moment, and they're not thinking about how the ramifications of their behavior is going to affect everyone else, but you do. All of our behavior affects other people, and so we begin to think going, 
Was this the right thing to do? Was this the wrong thing to do? Because you were made in the image of God. God made you. And not only that, but according to this text, it goes on and on, and it kind of sounds like it's repeating itself, right? Uh, You shall have dominion over every seed. You shall have dominion over all the fish in the sea and all the birds in the air. Again, over the fish in the sea and the birds in the air and every type of tree and every type of beast. It's like, okay, I get it. You don't have to say it that many times. But, But what God's putting in his word is that mankind, humans, even though you're weaker than animals, even though some of you, might be dumber than animals. Sometimes I'm dumber than some of the animals that are out there. I've seen some golden retrievers that are really, really smart. We have dominion over everything. God has put us in a a position to take care of this earth and every creature on this earth. We are his stewards to begin to protect and to look over and to watch. And when you see all the bad things that have happened to this globe, Who's at fault? It's us, right? Because we want and we take and we make things that destroy other things. Sometimes we're not great stewards, but the fact still remains that God has put us into a position of having dominion and authority over everything else, which is why we're talking about life today. Because God has given mankind and his church dominion to be able to, to, to say, this isn't right, let's make a change. The lion could go after the gazelle or the zebra, but if any of you men decide that you want dominance over all the other men and women on the people on your block, like the cops are gonna be called and you're going to jail. Man doesn't allow that to happen to each other when someone takes over by force. If, if you're like going, oh, I want this, and you hit someone else, The cops are coming. We have a society and the way that we function is like this isn't the way it's supposed to be. And so we're going to do whatever we can to stop it. We believe here at Hope Community Church that every single person has value because they're made in the image of God. And every single person is loved because they're made in the image of God. When we talk about abortion, and the millions of babies that are being murdered every single year. It's, it's devastating. People are making choices that are affecting another human life, and many times they're not even considering that there is a soul there, that this unborn child is made in the image of God. So we said we we're going to talk about what the Bible says. Psalm 139, starting in verse 13. Read this with me. I think it's up on the screen. I'm going to turn there. It's going to take me a while. I'm getting older and my eyes are not as great as they used to be. So be patient with me. Verse 13. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in the secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. 
This is a, a, a poem. It's very poetic, but it's still true, and it's the word of God. David is, is, is writing out a prayer to God that, that begins to, to show us that he understands how God made him. And in his mother's womb, God is, is putting him together. He, he knows his personality type, what, what's going to happen before any one of the days were to take place. God is, is putting character and personality into this child before the child is born. And David is talking about that. Uh, I have this kind of commanding presence, and uh, which is weird because I'm not very tall. In fact, uh, there was this time where I was in the Tenderloin District in San Francisco, one of the scariest moments in my life after the fact, but not during the fact. But I had taken a film crew to do some mission work in the Tenderloin, which is a poor area of San Francisco. And there's a lot of drugs and prostitution on the street. And uh, this film crew had really, really expensive video cameras and we didn't ask permission to film anything. We just went publicly and started like filming different things. And this really, really large guy comes up to one of the guys that has a camera around his neck and he gets right into his face and he goes, what are you doing with a camera like that on a drug street? And it was super intimidating. The guy with the camera is bigger than me. And he's just beginning to like back up like this and you could see the fear like dwell up in his eyes. And out of nowhere, I went up to the guy and go, you, that way, you, that way. And everyone listened to me. And we walked away and afterwards my heart's going, what, what just happened? I have no idea how that happened. But, but I have this, this presence in certain moments where it's, it's kind of controlling and demanding, and I need to repent from that all the time. But it's this, this personality that just needs to go, you do this, you do this, you do that. And I'm wired that way, and no one else in my family does that. We, we have no idea where that comes from. There's some recessive gene in, in our makeup that I got somehow. And, and I could just tell people, and sometimes it's even awkward in my family, when I'm like, you cook this, you do that, you bring in this. Everyone comes to me when we're talking about holiday plans in my family. What are we doing for Thanksgiving? What are we doing for, uh, for Christmas? How are we going to do Easter this year? Because I'm just like, this is what you need to do. And they're like, okay, let's do it. No one else has that in my family. But as God is like putting me together, he, he knew the personality type and some of the things that I'm wired before I even knew what it was. And he's done the same for you. Every single person, God knows. He knows your character. He knows your strengths. You did not have any say over, over who you were born to, what area you're going to be born to. God ha was in control of all of that. And some of the things that have shaped who you are is because God made it that way. He knows who you are, your character type, your personality is because of who God is. Now, again, this is a poetic text. And so we could look at it and go, oh, oh, we're knitted together. The Holy Spirit is not like going into the mother's womb. If we were to have like an ultrasound with knitting needles and kind of like forming this type, uh, making who the baby is. But, but what the Holy Spirit is doing inside of there is, is creating a person. And the Bible says, and this is not the only text, that this happens inside of the mother's womb. The Bible also says more than just inside the womb, that it happens at conception. And that there are several texts that we could refer to, but I'm going to draw, draw your attention to Psalm chapter 51, verse 5. 
It says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity and in sin. Did my mother conceive me? The same writer is saying that at conception, I was born into sin. And you could look at this. I encourage you, read the context. Read the whole chapter as, as you dive this. He's not saying that my mother was a wild person and, and she could see me because of her sin. But, but at conception, every human being, every child is born with sin. And if you are a parent, you know that this is true. Uh, and, and my family, just last night, and I told my son, you, you just earned a sermon illustration. My eight-year-old son bites my 10-year-old son. Like, he, he knows not to do that. But my kids are sinful kids. They were born into sin. Let's, let's just have a little venting session, okay, for, for, for a little bit. Raise your hand if you have kids. Ra- raise your hand if your kid has ever bitten another kid just because he wanted to. At eight years old, for me, raise your hand if your kid ever had a full-on tantrum where it's just like, wah, crazy, and you're like, I didn't kick you out of my house. I said you couldn't have a second piece of cake, and like tears are coming out of their eyes, and they're just like melting down. It's like, it's the end of the world. I can't have cake. Wah, like they're freaking out. Our kids are born sinners. They, they want what they want when they want it. And this says at conception, at, at conception, we have a, a desire and a want that's beginning to form inside of us. God is, is creating our personality. We are saying, I want this, I don't want this. And this child is going to grow up. And it's important for us to know that God is at work in that human life starts at conception. And the argument within our world today is that the murders that take place every single day, over a million a year in the United States, is that's, that's not a child. And if, if we can't show you biblically, then let's just look biologically, scientifically for, for a little bit. It's, it's proven that at eight weeks old, a child inside its mother's womb could suck its thumb. At, at eight weeks old, if, if you were to take an ultrasound of the child and, and draw blood from, from the fetus and, 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 and prick the heel of that child, the child flinches and feels pain. And what I believe is demonic, absolutely demonic, is that we allow these murders to continue over and over again and many people not even saying anything, not standing up, not doing anything. At eight weeks old, all the organs can begin to function on, the, on its own. The, uh, sometimes, they, some people believe, like even before eight weeks, starting at six weeks, it's not the mother's heartbeat. It's another heartbeat that is taking place. There is a human life, a human soul that's in there. I don't know if you go through like news, fe- news feeds on Twitter, but there was a, um, an article that took place in Europe, and I think it's, it was Switzerland, it might have been France, where, where they said that uh, there, there is scientific evidence, and I don't know how scientific it is, but people were, were actually in an uproar about this. That, that lobsters feel pain when they go into hot water. 
And people were saying we should not eat lobster because lobsters feel pain that moment that they're put into the hot water thing. I think it is absolutely demonic that, that people are concerned about whether a lobster feels pain or not before it's going to be boiled and served with butter and they have no care at all about these babies that are being murdered every single year. We have to do something as a church to stand up and, and to begin to take action. I know that the, the argument, if we, if we take it out of the Bible, is going to be that it's not just that child, but it affects the mom. And it should be the mom's choice. It's her body and it's her choice. I, I think I, I'm a male and so I'm not going to fully understand this, but I think I somewhat understand the argument a little bit. Um, and what I would say is that throughout the history of this world, there have been sexual things, there have been oppression, and typically it's women and children that, that get the hardest side of that. When, when, when men want things and they take things, oftentimes women are hurt and abused. And, and I think it is important for women to have a voice and to women to speak up. But I think this goes beyond that because it's not just a woman's body. There is another heartbeat that is taking place. It's taking place within the woman's body, but it is a separate human being that exists at conception. And just to kind of tell you that this is demonic and messed up, if a woman who is third term, almost ready to have a baby, if she were to drive to an abortion clinic and, and get an abortion, and two blocks away from this abortion clinic, someone was texting and driving, and they slam into her car. That person who was texting and driving would, re, would go to jail, and on their permanent record, they would be accused without the woman say one way or the other. If, if that child died during that accident, that person would be accused of involuntary manslaughter with no say about what the mom has to say at all. Our, our laws say and they protect life, but there is this, this distinction where it's like, we're going to turn a blind eye, but if that woman would have just driven two blocks further and had her abortion, nothing ever would have been said about that. Can, can we agree that something is messed up here? That, that there needs to be something that, that, that needs to change in order for this to, uh, to continue to go as the church begins to butt up against culture we need to transform it and to have a say and to stand up for justice. I told you that I want this to be a biblical argument and not a political argument. And so one last thing that, that I'm going to say, um, and I know that this, you might disagree with this, but as, as we understand that we are made in the image of God. And every single person is made in the image of God. Then we need to stand up for the not yet born. And we need to stand up for every life. We need to stand up for the lowly. We need to stand up for the oppressed. We need to stand up for people who cannot stand up for themselves. 
We need to stand up for kids. I love it and I hate it at the same time that there's kids running all over this place. I love it because I believe God has called us to be in this room to minister to families and to kids. Our kids are part of this church. They don't just go over there to get babysat. They are part of this church. They are human beings. We need to to raise up people who love God and love kids to invest into our kids. I love that they're here. I love that they make noises. I hate that they break things, but I love that they're here. We need to stand up for kids all over the place. And there are kids that are being hurt. They are being exposed to elements of drug abuse and neglect. And as a church, we need to do whatever we can to help stand up for these kids. We need to stand up for every single life. We need to stand up for people who are broken and really broken in poverty, whose minds are not working the way that they should be working uh, because of either their own sin or someone else's sin against them, or even biologically, it doesn't make sense for them because of the issues that are going on in their life. We need to stand up for people who are insane and special. They are made in the image of God. We need to stand up for homelessness. We need to stand up for the refugee and and actually go, I need to help this person because they are made in the image of God. I am going to love. I'm going to protect. I'm going to pray for. I'm going to do whatever I can to begin to stand up for this person. We need to stand up for the elderly. And there's so many people in our society who are older and they are forgotten. And they are homebound and they're just waiting to die God has a plan and a purpose for all of the elderly people until their very last breath, and then God has another purpose for them in the next life. God loves the elderly, and as a church, he's calling us to come alongside of them and to learn and to grow from them. Some of the elderly people in this congregation have things to share with you that you need to listen to. They have stories and experience that are beneficial to us, and we're better with them. We need to stand up for life and do whatever we can. And so the big question is, is how do we do that, right? When we begin to talk about abortion and Roe versus Wade, and that was a Supreme Court thing that was a long time ago for some of us. I wasn't even born, and yet it's, it's, it's here now. What do we do? We can't go and make the Supreme Court change their minds. We pray. If you consider Hope Community Church your home church, I appeal to you, pray. There is power in prayer. We, we pray for our political leaders, whether they are on your political party or they're not on your political party. We, we pray for them. We pray that God would intervene because this demonic thing of of abortion has been going on for for centuries. In the Old Testament, uh, people worship a god named Molech, and they would sacrifice their babies. In the Greco-Roman period, the Spartans would would sacrifice their, their boys if there was any imperfection in them. And we're just doing the exact same thing, except except maybe we might be a little bit smarter about it. But this is demonic. And so the way that we go against spiritual oppression is we pray. And we believe that in the power of God, that God is going to work and he's going to begin to change people's hearts. He's going to begin to change people's minds. He's going to begin to change people's behaviors. Next, we recognize 
that not everyone who's participated in abortion or has encouraged someone to get an abortion is evil, right? There is sin, yes, but how does Jesus look at sin? He says, I dealt with it. I took care of it. He steps into our shame. He steps into our fear. He lifts up our chin and says, where are your accusers? I don't condemn you. And so we need to step into people's shame, into their sin, into their life. Not that we sin, but we need to offer grace. We need to point them to Jesus who offers restoration, who offers reconciliation so that they can be complete. In a room our size, if we were to look at statistics, there are women in this room who have never told anyone about it. But there's a good chance that there's at least a few that have had an abortion in this room. And some people are wrestling. They have no one to talk to and to tell this about. You can't go into your job, into your work, and, and say, I'm wrestling with it. My performance is horrible because I made this decision at 22 years old and my whole life hasn't been the change. Boss, will you listen to me? The boss isn't going to do that. That's what the church is for. We are all broken, messed up people. And we go, I made mistakes. I need help. And we open up with confession. We begin to share, I don't know what to do and I'm haunted with this. I can't sleep at night. I get anxious and depressed. You have no one accusing you. Come to Jesus. Give him your life. Lay down before him. Whether you're a believer or you're not a believer, lay this issue down before the throne of God. If you are a guy and you encouraged, forced, uh, did anything you can, paid for someone to have an abortion, you too can experience forgiveness coming to Jesus Christ. And so we, we talk to each other, we get to know each other so we could offer healing and restoration in this room. There's a 12-year-old girl who was violated by her stepdad. And I, I think about what, what would have happened if, if she went to Planned Parenthood and she saw a whole bunch of protesters out there saying, you're killing babies. I can't believe you're going to do that. It would, it would devastate her. Luckily, there was this woman from the church that I worked at before who uh, worked at alternative pregnancy, and she came alongside of this little girl and provided options and loved this kid. And her whole life began to change because one person took interest in her. I think sometimes we could, we could look at the big issue of abortion and politicize it and make it this really big argument. You can change one life. You could step inside the life of a child and do preventative ministry. You could help that child out before they even make a mistake. Do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. Speak truth. Show empathy. Stand with someone we're starting a youth ministry at Hope Community Church this year. Last Wednesday, I was here on this campus, and our goal is to connect with students, and we need more people to connect with students as we begin to grow, and maybe God's saying, hey, this is what I want you to do. You don't have to convert, save anyone. You don't have the power to do that. Be loving and empathetic to someone. Share your life with them. It can make a huge difference. And I want to challenge you, give your money 
to other organizations. You could give your money to, like, we're giving back to God, right, when we tithe here, but give your money to uh, the Boys and Girls Club. Give your money to Alternative Pregnancy Center. Give your money to other organizations who are standing up for people who don't have a voice. Take time to walk with other people who are different than you, with the refugees. If you have an issue against refugees, I really encourage you to get to know someone who's not from the same country as you are, who, who came here because of oppression and hurt from their people and to love them. We need to look at people the way that Jesus looks at people. And if we're honest, we have our mess, we have our sin, we have our shame, and God's speaking to us, stepping into it. Let's open up our hearts to allow other people to step into our mess as well. I'm going to bring the, the worship team up and we're going to close. As, as we do, as we're singing this, this last song, I want to encourage you to respond as God leads you to respond. Uh, the songs that we sing are meant to be prayers. They're, they're meant to, to draw our, our thoughts and our hearts to God to go, this, this is one way that we pray. And, and if, if the song lyrics resonate with you, just, just pray out to God. You can pray that out loud if you want in your head. It's completely up to you. Uh, but do business with God. Know that when he looks at you, there's no condemnation for those who are in Jesus Christ. If you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, come to him. Say, God, I need you. I need a change in my life. Jesus, I, I give you my life and allow him to work. Let's sing together.